All right, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we are a, uh, a group of people that are, uh, well, honestly, we're pretty messed up. And uh, we are on a process of change, and we've learned that the change that needs to happen in all of our lives is through this incredible book that God wrote that holds all truth. And the more we surrender to the book, the more we understand, the more we learn about God and we meet him in the pages, the more our lives begin to change. And we are so thankful for that. We come back every week uh, and we just say, hey God, thanks. Thanks for keeping me from the person I could have become. Thank you for giving me a future and a hope. And we've been in this series about the Holy Spirit. And this is actually week 15. It's been kind of divided up. But but this, we've been talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that, that God, when he left, said, look, I'm going to empower you. Uh, I'm going to give you supernatural power from heaven to be able to take my message and to share it with the world. And I'm going to give you gifts. They're not for you. They're for other people. But when you use your gifts, it will glorify me and it will bring validity to the message. And that we've been talking about how the gifts of the Spirit are given to us for the sole purpose of glorifying God and bringing other people to know Christ. And last time, if you remember or not, we began talking about the spiritual gift of healing. And I talked about that last time, and we, we, we talked about what it means to be healed physically and spiritually. And today I want to talk about a unique part of healing that I wish, honestly, I didn't have to preach on. But there's no doubt that God has the power to heal anyone at any time. I think we can agree on that. God has not lost the ability to heal. The question is whether he chooses to do so through what we call faith healers. The title of this sermon is called Faith Stealers, which might tell you where we're headed. These individuals typically convince audiences that God wants them to be well, and if they have enough faith and a big enough financial gift, God will reward their faith by healing them through the power of Jesus. Modern faith healers that are clearly false are people like Ken Copeland, Benny Hinn, Peter Popoff, Todd White, Creflo Dollar. There's a hundred of them and more but we have to have the right attitude when we speak about them. So before I go any further in this, here's what I want you to remember. A false teacher should not be put on our hate list. A false teacher should be put on our prayer list. We can protect ourselves from false teachers. And we can learn to disagree with them in a God-honoring way. So I don't want you to go home and say, oh, he really blasted them today. They're wrong. Uh, it's clear. And I'm going to show it to you today in Scripture, and we're going to talk about it. But they're just misguided. They need our prayer. Now, televangelist faith healers have spread across late night TV like gangrene, claiming to heal the sick and the hurting, and most have been exposed. Peter Popoff, for instance, was using a radio device and they brought a radio scanner in and they heard his wife feeding him information about people and he pretended to have the gift of knowledge. A typical thing they'll do is they'll bring people forward in wheelchairs. If you notice, those people are never in their own personal wheelchairs. They're in the wheelchairs provided by the place. They find an elderly person who can walk. They see how far they have to go to their seat. They give them a wheelchair so they don't have to walk. Then they call them up on stage and miraculously they can walk. 
Some use a magic trick or a, a trick to try to make you think that one leg is longer or shorter than the other, and then they miraculously fix it. Now, you may say, well, what's the harm in this? Well, obviously, they're misleading people. Let me just give you an idea. Benny Hinn, who's probably the epitome of this group, tells people that only if they give enough will they be healed. Every night that he has a Coliseum performance, he brings in about $400,000 a night in cash. Annually, his ministry brings in roughly $100 million. Most of his followers don't know how the money's spent. He's got a palatial new home for $5 million that's exclusive overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It has more than 6,000 square feet, seven bedrooms, eight bathrooms, a basement garage with space for 10 cars. Who's paying for that? Not Benny Hinn. It's his parsonage covered by the ministries. Now, we could spend hours on the exploits and financial scamming that Christians subject themselves to in the pursuit of healing. While scammers rake in millions, here's something I want us to understand. Those who trust them are allowing the charade to happen to them. Without gullible, desperate people who don't know the scriptures, faith healers would have no one to heal and no money coming in. Remember that the money going to these imposters is coming from Christians. Most secular people look at him and go, that dude's crazy. But the Christians actually believe it, and they give millions of dollars. They're literally stealing money from desperate people who are following Christ and trying to advance their lives, and they're stealing from them. They tap into something that's very real. They recognize that many who follow Jesus don't really have a strong faith or foundation in him. That's what they realize. And when their faith is put to the test by a disease or illness, their cracking foundation begins to get exposed. Rather than trusting God for their healing, their faith fails them and they turn to these fake healers. 1 Timothy 4.1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, notice something that's often missed in this passage. It's not just about teaching the word, it's about living out the word. People will stop listening to the truth, and they're going to wander away, and they're going to stop living it as well. God has promised to heal every one of us. He's also promised that in this world we'll have trouble. But look at the verse. Well, you can't. Trust me. In the verse, he says something very interesting. Endure suffering. Preach the word in season and out. Use it for everything, but endure suffering. Why, why is that there? What makes believers seek other truths faster than anything else? 
What rocks the foundation of your faith faster than anything else? When our lives become hard. When obstacles are in our way, as soon as things don't go our way, we tend to blame God and we start seeking our own answers. Yeah, I know God wants to heal me, but I think he can do it faster. It's in suffering where you either glorify God or you deny him. That's what suffering is about. It exposes your foundation. 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, don't be surprised at fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Endure suffering. That's part of our call. It's part of our walk with God. Every time in the Bible that someone goes through suffering for Christ's sake, they are glorified for it. There are times when suffering is what God has called us to do. James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you and I don't persevere in trials, we will never be complete. So you know what they didn't say? They didn't say, consider it joy when you meet trials of various kinds, because God will bring a faith healer to you, and if you pay enough money, they can provide a quick fix to your illness. The psalmist never said, my hope comes from Benny Hinn who will be in Tampa next month. Psalm 121.1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Your help comes from nowhere else. We're in week two of this discussion about the spiritual gift of healing and we said the gift is active today. But is this the way God heals? And remember that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to advance the gospel by validating it. When people look in on the healings that are occurring on late night television, let me rephrase that, when people look in on the healings that are occurring on late night television, are they drawn towards God or away from God? Faith healers claim to heal because Jesus heals. So it's logical to assume that the Spirit of God is doing the healing. And since God never changes, that we would see the same manner of healing today through the Spirit as they saw back in the early church and when Jesus walked the earth, that the way he healed then is the way he heals now. In fact, when we see somebody claiming to have the gift of healing, we should ask ourselves, is this the way Jesus healed? Mark 129. Well, let's do this. By comparing the healing ministry of the Lord Jesus to that of modern day healers, we can sort of tell, right? I mean, if you're healing in Jesus' name through the power of Jesus, you should be healing like Jesus, right? I wanna make sure we understand that. Mark 1, 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This passage gives us a description of just one day in the healing ministry of Jesus's life. 
His power to heal, to do all kinds of miracles was evidenced because he had power over the physical and the spiritual effects of the curse of sin. He healed those afflicted with physical illness, illnesses, injuries. He even raised the dead. He cast out demons of those who were possessed by him. Only God can rescue us from the fall of man into sin. Death and disease by his miracles proved he was God. But there's several things to notice about Jesus' healings that help us dismiss false healers very quickly. First, Jesus healed instantly. Peter's mother-in-law, the centurion's servant, Jairus' daughter, the paralytic, they were all healed immediately. He spoke, they were changed. They did not have to go home and wait to get better. They did not have to go home and give more money and see if the blessing would come to them. They had a problem, you saw him, and he healed it. Second, Jesus healed totally. Peter's mother-in-law was fully functional after being healed from that illness. When he healed her, she rose immediately, prepared a meal. The blind beggars in Matthew 20 were given instant sight. The paralytic man threw the roof immediately and powerfully got up and walked out. It was immediate, it was complete, it was full, it wasn't partial. Third, Jesus healed everyone that the Father told him to heal. They weren't required to be pre-screened by his disciples. They weren't told to stand in a certain line. They, they weren't told to fill out a souvenir, uh, uh, information sheet. They didn't have to qualify to be healed. Jesus healed all the time in many places, and not typically with a studio in carefully controlled circumstances. There were days when Jesus literally healed everyone. There were days when Jesus healed only one, and there were days when he healed no one. He did what the Father told him to do to validate the message and advance the gospel. The fourth thing we know about Jesus' healing is he healed actual organic diseases. Visible, obvious diseases with visible, obvious uh, manifestations. Illnesses everyone could see and examine. To our knowledge, Jesus never healed anyone of headache or allergies or back pain or subjective symptoms that couldn't be validated. Remember, the point of healing is to convince the crowd that he's God. It has to be visible and then not visible to show that only God could do that. He healed leprosy and blindness and paralysis, always miracles that were verifiable. Finally, Jesus healed the ultimate disease, which was death. He brought forth Lazarus after four days in the grave. No faith healer can duplicate that. In addition, his healings did not require faith as a precondition. He often healed people who didn't even know who he was. Fifth, Jesus never placed the condition of faith on their healing. He would never say, do you have enough faith you can be healed? He would heal people and say, oh, by the way, your faith has helped you be healed. But to many, they had no faith. They had no idea who he was. He never did an evaluation of their faith to decide if he was going to heal them. He just let them know their faith opened them up for the possibility of being healed. Finally, there's no evidence in Scripture that Jesus ever received anything for healing people. He didn't take up an offering. He didn't sell holy water. He didn't give out Jesus napkins. In fact, he typically healed those who could offer nothing but worship and praise in response. 
When Jesus healed, we don't find charismatic jumping around. Emotionalism, no speaking in tongues, no rants, no ravings, no fits, no trances, no emotional sermons beforehand. In fact, when Jesus healed someone, there wasn't a big scene. It was often quite informal. He just might touch them or he might talk to them, but there was no shaking him, no smacking him in the forehead. At times, Jesus just lovingly spoke to the person and they were healed. When Jesus healed physical illness, the cure was not by mental factors of mind and body. In other words, he didn't go after psychosomatic results. One Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man there whose right hand was withered. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. Psychosomatic healing can't cure a withered hand. Certainly, there's no psychosomatic healing when raising people who've been dead for four days. Jesus fully healed every disease and every affliction. We never hear words like disappointment or partial or deception when it comes to his healings. In fact, Jesus' enemies, Jesus, I can say that word, Jesus' enemies validated his healing. They didn't say, oh, he's not healed. They said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. In other words, there's no doubt that sick person is not sick anymore. The blind person's not blind anymore. When Jesus healed people, they were fully, completely, and instantly healed. No one could argue the outcome. The paralytic guy's dancing around the courtyard. The blind's examining everything. The deaf hear music. The demon-possessed were at peace. And the dead were alive. So why, if faith healers have all this power to heal, why don't they come over to another place I work and start healing people? Why don't they go to the clinics and cure the AIDS patients? Why don't they help us get people off ventilators? I mean, truly, if you have the gift of healing and you can turn it on at 7 o'clock in front of an audience of 25000 and get $400,000 for it, surely you could find time to walk into the hospital and free a few kids from their leukemia. Jesus had the power to heal, to do all kinds of miracles, and it was evidence because he had power both over the physical and the spiritual effect of the curse of sin. He healed those with physical diseases, illnesses, injuries, cast out demons. His miracles proved his deity. In other words, if you claim to be God, you better be able to do the things God does. That's what Jesus did. He spoke creation to calm down. He healed diseases that have been present since birth. Raised dead people to life. These healings and miracles were a sign. You see, Jewish people had been God's chosen people for 1,500 years, and now God is declaring to them a new way to connect with him. So in order to, to make that valid, the healings had to be a sign that this is what God is doing. He's doing something new. Can you not perceive it? Hebrews 2, 3 how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. In other words, he spoke at first. I'm here, I'm the Messiah. Attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now here's what's important to understand. 
The first church was focused on proving that he was God. That was their focus. He claimed to be God, and if he wasn't God, that's blasphemy, and they should all be killing him. They wanted to know, are you God? That was their question. Are you the Messiah? The primary focus of first century Christianity was not the miracles. It was what they were bearing witness to. Today we focus on, did he really heal that blind man? Did he really calm a storm? Did he really raise somebody from the dead? They didn't ask those questions because the answer was right in front of them. That was the given. The given was those things happened. The question was, are you God? That's what they had a hard time wrapping their mind around, that God would step into this filthy place to hang out with people like us. Today, we're like, I don't think he really did it. Well, they're like, what am I gonna say? The storm's calm, the dead guy's walking. What they asked was, does these miracles prove that he's God? That's why Christianity grew from 500 disciples in 33 AD to over a million by 125 AD. The miracles were such evidence that God has come and was present. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I've said that I believe God heals people through the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit today and that he does so to advance the gospel message. He does so, in my opinion, in the same manner that he's always done so. He didn't rent a cathedral. He didn't hold a synagogue healing service. He didn't make the healing the focus of his message. He never promoted himself as a healer. He never took credit for healing. Usually he told the healed person to be quiet. So faith healers are easy to spot. This is low-level spiritual fruit stuff. You gotta get past this part. They're, they're easy to spot. They're fake. Let me give you some of their lies that help identify them further. First one, you're healed by your faith. We're not healed by our faith. We're healed because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ who chooses to heal us. Our faith opens us up, but it's not our faith that makes us healable. We don't control our healing. We can't become good enough. We can't become faithful enough. And if we're not healed, please understand, it's not because you lack faith. Paul, for years, prayed God would take something away from him, and God chose not to. He didn't lack faith. Healers will awful say, your faith alone is something you need to stir up inside. It's not what you believe, it's who you believe in. They say things like, if you believe, if you claim it, if you live in it, it's always based on what you do and what your faith is in yourself or in that healer. It's not, I believe I can be healed. It's, I believe in Jesus and he can choose if he wants to heal. Confidence in our faith is just slang for I have confidence in myself. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing 
and hearing from the word of Christ. Now, many people read this and they assume that this means reading the word of God. Faith comes from healing, hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But when this was written, there was no written gospel. The word was Christ himself. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through Christ. How do we hear? We hear Christ. How do we hear? Because we have a relationship with Christ. Where does our faith come from? Christ. Not from us. We don't stir it up. He pours faith into us. He allows it to grow in us. When the apostle Paul was talking about Jesus, he called Jesus the word of God in John 1. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. See, believing that your faith somehow determines your healing puts you in control. It's another ego thing. Second myth, if you stand fast in your faith, you'll be healed in time. Once again, we're substituting faith and for healing in Jesus. Hebrews 10.23 is often used to justify this. Let me read this to you carefully. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. A lot of people say, well, that proves that God's going to heal me. But this message is all about holding our relationship with Christ, not our faith in Christ. He's talking about having faith in the relationship you have with God Almighty. We're given the promise of a relationship. The curtain is broken because God has provided a way for us to have a relationship. It's not about holding fast to your faith. It's about holding fast to the relationship that builds your faith. So when our faith is focused on our relationship with Jesus, we're okay whether we're healed or not. It's more believing in your heart. It's more than believing in your heart that God heals. Only God heals. The question is, do you understand that only God heals? Third, confession brings healing. That if you're sick, you must have an unconfessed sin. God is punishing you for something, and if you didn't get healed by the miracle healer, it's because you have a sin you're not telling us about. They base this because they don't understand the role of the elders in Scripture. Let me read to you James. James says, is anyone sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This passage is addressing spiritual healing, not necessarily a physical healing. There are times when we're sick physically, and then there's times when we're sick spiritually, and then there's times when we're both. What this passage is talking about is you're going to go through trials. And James has just talked about, consider it joy when you go through trials. This whole book is about going through trials. What do you do when you're in a trial? That's the context. And you're in a trial and you love God and you love Jesus, but your faith starts to waver. Happens to all of us. 
God, why are you, are you here? God, are you, why are you letting this happen? Our faith starts to waver. We begin to doubt God. Some people consider walking away from the truth or, or choosing not to go God's direction. James has been teaching, how do you persevere in trials? Well, here's how you persevere. When you begin to waver in your faith, go get the elders. Let them pray with you. Let them pray over you. When your faith begins to fade, they and you're spiritually exhausted, James is saying, look, go get the elders and let them hold you up. Why? So their faith can cover you during times when you're struggling. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Notice it's the prayer of the elders that covers the one who's weak. With the strength of faith of the elders, this person can be raised up in faith. In a sense, the elders are giving the one fading a transfusion of faith, a covering. And then notice a key word in this passage that everybody skips over. If. And then, if you've committed sins, you'll be forgiven. It doesn't say you've committed sins and you won't be forgiven or you'll be sick until you confess them. It's like, go to the elders. When you're weak spiritually and you need their prayer, their support, and their encouragement, go to them. And oh, by the way, if you have a sin, confess it. It clearly does not say that you must be in sin if you're sick. This, this passage does not say you'll never be healed until you confess your sins. What it says is, is that confessing your sins opens you up to a deeper relationship with Christ and that opens you up for healing that may or may not come. What you're doing is you're confessing that in that moment you're spiritually anemic. Why did God allow this? Why did this happen? I don't know what to do. I'm lost. Help me. I'm fading fast. And if during this time of struggle we've chosen to sin, we need to confess that sin. We've been weak. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. Healing comes from God. We do it God's way. There are so many myths about healing that we could cover, but the answer is always the same. The spiritual gift of healing comes from God and God alone. He sometimes uses us to minister to others and bring healing in times of physical and spiritual healing to other people. This gift, like all the others, flows from God through us to another person. We don't own it, we can't make it happen, and we can't claim to be the gift. I've experienced the gift of healing. I'm not a healer. Okay, there were times when we prayed once uh, for a woman who was pregnant in our church. They told her that her baby had hydrocephalus, that he'd be mentally, probably all kinds of issues. And when we prayed for her as elders, I could feel the power of God. I didn't own it, I didn't control it, I had no idea what was happening, but I could feel it. And I knew she was healed. As soon as we stopped praying, I knew it. That kid ran around our church until he grew up and, and was fully functional with a normal ultrasound two days later. It was a miracle. I know it. And I know God did it, but I didn't do it. And I can't make it happen again. And I don't possess it. Any of us could have been in that moment. In addition, I believe I've been healed of a disease because the doctors thought I had ALS and it went away. I don't know why. I have a sister who's been healed from a back injury. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. But I know God still does healing today. I just don't believe he makes a show out of it like Benny Hinn. 
If I truly believed I could heal people, I'd never leave the hospital. You see, we don't choose who gets healed. We don't determine if someone gets healed. We can't do anything to deserve to be healed. We all get healed when God determines it's best, and for almost all of us, it's gonna be on the other side of eternity. It's not gonna happen here. Not during this life on earth. Why? We talked about it last time. This life on earth is a blip in our experience with God. So please don't buy the lie that healing or lack thereof is in any way based on your earning it through your faith. How do faith healers get away with this? How does this happen? Well, the first thing they do is they blame the victim. People are told that if they fail to heal, they have to take the blame. It's never an incompetent or fraudulent healer. They didn't have enough faith. They didn't give enough money. They didn't really believe. Even in the New Testament, people weren't always able to heal. Paul wrote, Trophimus, I leave sick at Miletus. Paul, why didn't you heal him? He couldn't heal Timothy's frequent ailments or sickly Epaphroditus. Even Jesus was not able to perform miracles in Nazareth. Doesn't mean that faith fills Jesus with power. Instead, Jesus wasn't able to heal because he knew a miraculous activity there would damage hardened hearts and stubborn their faith. Second, our Constitution allows this to happen. If you notice, most of these charlatans are registered in the United States. Why is that? Well, you may not know this, but according to the First Amendment, free churches, American churches are free from disclosure that any other business would have to disclose. Churches can keep their books secret and even the government can't audit them. Unfortunately, this well-intentioned law to protect the church from invasion of the government is a perfect venue for criminals and con men who can remain unaccountable and even tax exempt. The amount of money asked for and received by religious figures are enormous and it's banked tax free. The IRS has declared that such money with the exception of the preacher's income is exempt from taxes. Churches do not even have to apply for recognition of their exemption. Third, Christian leaders often lack discernment or courage to call out false teachers. I don't know why. They're false. My job is to protect the church from wolves. They're wolves. They're on TV. They're coming into your life. They're trying to tap into your insecurities regarding your faith in God and whether or not he can heal you or not. They want your money. They want your fame. They want everything. So the question is, should we expect to see healings today? Yes and no. We believe that God still heals people miraculously. Of course he does. And sometimes it happens through a person with a particular gift in that moment. But there's a couple things we need to remember. First, false miracles never help Christ. People who are doing false miracles and false magicians, they're turning people away from the truth. What is hard to believe is that non-Christians look at them and go, what a fool they are. Do you see that crazy guy on TV doing all that flopping around and people hitting the deck? Do you see that? Who would believe that? It's the Christians that don't see it. And yet those who have the Holy Spirit, those who have the most discernment are falling for this stuff all the time. The people flocking to these people are believers. Second, 
Let me just share with you that miracles are very infrequent in the Bible. We often think miracles are frequent because we turn a page and all of a sudden there's another miracle. But in the narrative, hundreds of years may have passed between miraculous events. For instance, Israel wallowed in slavery for 400 years without seeing any evidence of God. Sarah gave birth to Isaac at an incredibly old age, which was a miracle. But Abraham and Sarah had to wait a very long time to get the promise, 30 years. Even a powerful prophet like John the Baptist didn't do healing miracles. The book of Acts contains many miracles, but we have to remember those events are highlights of 30 years. Third, sometimes miracles distract us from God's message. Followers of Christ sometimes pursued him to get a free lunch. They didn't care about his message. He validated himself through miracles. But God is always careful not to distract from the message. The message is the important thing. The miracles validate that message, not the other way around. Fourth, God heals people miraculously when he sees fit. When he wants to heal people, he'll heal them. He'll use the method he wants, the purpose he wants, when he wants. Fifth, Paul gives us some advice about charismatic gifts. He says, don't quench the spirit. What that means is if God is moving in a moment and people are being healed, it's our role as believers to not be overly skeptical about what's happening in front of us. Miracles happen. However, Paul also tells us we should examine everything carefully. In other words, we should welcome the miraculous acts of God but we should also be discerning about alleged miracles. And Christians should be the very first ones to identify false healers. We have the spirit to scream at us. Modern faith healers have exploited both the Bible's teaching on miracles and those who've come for healing and hope. Let me tell you some truths to remember. Healing comes from God. No scripture condemns the legitimate use of doctors or medical science, but the name of God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Wherever you're healed, however you're healed, it's not the doctor that did it. It's not the nurse that did it. It's not the research that did it. It's not the miracle drug that did it. It's the God that created all those things that holds them together. I've never healed anybody in my life, but I've been used by God to bring his healing to people. Jesus healed every disease and sickness among those in Galilee and everywhere he went in order to authenticate the gospel message. Second, the gift of healing is biblical. The Holy Spirit gives the gift to the church. God distributes the gift as he wills. Besides honoring God and glorifying Jesus, healing is also for the common good of the church. Healing is also a reminder to us that one day God will heal all. Third thing we need to remember that's very true is sometimes God says no. We're not promised good health. In the Old Testament, Moses cried out to God to heal Miriam's leprosy, and the Lord didn't heal her immediately. As Ahiah refused healing because he was consulted a pagan deity, Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus, had to deal with his own afflictions. He told Timothy, drink a little bit more wine, maybe it'll help your stomach. God doesn't give bad things to his children. But as a loving father, he may say no to healing. 
and instead use our afflictions and our suffering to allow us to bring glory to him. You see, here's the thing. When you get sick, and you will, people come to me and they say, I want God to heal me so I can bring glory to him. And my question is, can you bring glory to him if he doesn't heal you? You see, it's in the suffering. It's in the trusting God when things don't go well that we bring glory to God. You see, Christ came to suffer. If we're gonna follow him, we have to expect that at some point in our lives, we may be called to suffer. Yes, he may heal us, but he may not. And we need to be ready in advance to glorify him whichever direction that goes. And by the way, at some point, all of us are not going to be healed. It's just life, it's sin. We'll go to heaven, we'll get healed on the other side. But on this experience on earth, most of us are not gonna experience healing. Now we can hinder our own healing. Scriptures are clear about this. And there's about five ways we can do this. We can have unconfessed sin. If we know we have unconfessed sin and we need to go to God for healing, we gotta confess the sin. It's not about then the healing will come, it's then the relationship will be where it needs to be to get you through what you're about to go through. If you're going through a difficult time, let's say physically, you need to make sure you're clean with Christ relationally because you're gonna need him. You're gonna need to feel his presence. And if you have some unconfessed sin going back and forth, that's gonna limit your ability to react and to pray. Jesus made it clear that neither a blind man nor his parents' sin caused the blindness. But if we want God to heal us, we need to work on the relationship. God might neglect healing because we never asked for it. At the pool of Bethesda, he steps over many, many people to heal a guy. When he gets there, he says, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? What an odd question. I think Jesus knew he was addicted to the attention and charity he was receiving because of his illness. Do you want to be healed? If you don't ask, you won't be healed. Most likely. A lot of times Christians fail to surrender to God's purposes. You see, we need to be on God's agenda, not our own. Let me explain this to you. If God has allowed an illness into our life, let's say a life-threatening illness, he allowed that because something on the other end is gonna come out really good somewhere, right? And so we may suffer, we may not like it, but we're gonna draw closer to God through the process and something amazing is gonna happen. We have to get comfortable Surrendering to God's purposes no matter what outcome we receive. We pray until we have peace, healed or not. We get to the point where Jesus got to in the garden. Lord, take this cup, but not your will, mine, or not my will, yours. Christians may come to God with timid prayers. God says, look, and this is what's interesting. It's not, it's not that your faith is timid. It's that your belief and your relationship is timid. You see, we have to embrace the fact that we are God's children. He loves us. He paid for us. We have a relationship with him. We can walk into the Holy of Holies. Our sins have been cleansed. We're in relationship with him. And because of that, we can say, hey, Father, will you heal me? It's the relationship that is the critical part. Questions you might want to ask yourself should something happen. 
Do I truly believe God can heal me? It's an important question. Do I truly believe that God loves me if he doesn't heal me? Is my love for God conditional? Will I love him the same if healing never comes? Am I concerned what others think that I might lack faith or have sinned if I pray and God doesn't heal me? Am I more concerned about God's agenda and future or my own? Have I thanked God for the healing I've already received through Christ Jesus? Can I say from my heart, truly like Jesus, not your will, Lord, but mine. Not my will, Lord, but yours. Now, here's another thing I just want to hit on, and we'll be done soon. Both healing and suffering can serve a higher purpose. Both healing and suffering can serve a higher purpose. Sometimes God heals to bring glory to himself and encourage others. Other times he asks us to go through difficult times to show people what faith in Jesus really looks like when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Other times healing never comes. But even with impending death, there can be a higher purpose. Sometimes God's going to call us to a rough road. We need to be prepared for that. Not shocked, not surprised, prepared. We're here to live out for the glory of God in whatever manner or purpose we can. The last thing I want you to remember is that ultimate healing awaits all of us in heaven. Whatever we go through here, death brings ultimate healing. No pain, no death, no sorrow forever. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Revelations 21.4, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And the old order of things has passed away. And I'm going to be unemployed. No need for doctors, no need for pastors. I'll find something else to do. The gift of healings from God, it's God working through us completely under his control, under his discretion, his authority, his desire. He's not a genie and you can't rub a lamp. Jesus healed people because he had compassion on them. He healed people because he loved them. He healed people because he's full of mercy. He healed people because he's full of grace. Those things never change. But often he doesn't heal people and he still has compassion on them. And he still loves them and he's still full of grace and he's still full of mercy. Jesus stepped over dozens of people to reach the one man at the pool of Bethesda. Why? Because on that day, that's what the Father had ordained. We're going to spend a lot of time in our lives praying for the healing of those we love and for each other. God will decide if healing fits in his plan or not. Most of us are going to have to wrestle with a no answer. Miracles are rare. If we get to the point where we're okay with that, then we're spiritually where we need to be. Because the greatest thing you and I need to remember at all times is we've already received a healing from God that's beyond anything. We were born in sin. We were born spiritually dead. We were born doomed to hell. We needed a miracle, and Jesus was our miracle, and through our faith, we have received him. We don't need God to do anything else for us. My grace is sufficient for you. 
When you and I truly embrace what God has already done for us, physical healing is not the measure of his love. Spiritual healing is the measure of his love. If he heals us, we're good. If he doesn't heal us, we're just as good. But decide once and for all right now that your healing will come from God and God alone. Not a doctor, not a famous hospital, not a wonder drug, not from any other source on this earth, and not a false teacher. If you're going to be healed, the source is God. Your faith, your hope, your trust are in Christ and Christ alone. Never depend on a man to heal you or a woman. Your miracle is only yours to request and God's to give and the relationship stays the same. Let's pray. God, at some point, we're all gonna face difficult times. Scriptures say, choose this day who you're going to serve. God, I pray that you prepare all of us that when that moment comes, and it probably will, that we've already decided we're gonna glorify you, that our healing's only gonna come from you. It doesn't mean we don't seek out doctors, doesn't mean we don't go to the world's greatest medical center and get the world's greatest drug, but what it means is we understand that our healing is gonna come from you and you alone because it's your purpose we live for, it's your purpose we're here and you will use our lives to glorify you in whatever manner you deem fit. So God, help us in our suffering. Help those who are suffering now. Help them to realize, as Paul reminded us, that our time here on earth is very short. And the suffering that we have here today is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to have in heaven. So God, help us to trust you when things go wrong. Help us to know that you love us regardless of the outcome. And help us to not have conditional love when it comes to you. We love you and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.